This is To The Point. A Rhino Experience. Voted one of the top home services marketing and operations podcasts. Cutting through the bullshit and getting to the point. Hey, what's up to the point listeners? It's your host, Cristiano, along with the magic man on the mic over in Charlotte, North Carolina, Mr. Tall Paul. What's up, brother? Chris, always a pleasure, my man. I am sitting so comfortable in the seat that I have come to really get used to, and that is the most or least interesting person on the podcast once again. We have like a celebrity on today in our space, so I'm pumped, man. Oh, man, you you weren't pumped enough to iron your shirt. Damn, man, like new year, new you. Come on. That's that's the style, okay? This is, what do they call it, chambray, Keith? Is that what this is called? (laughs) I think you nailed it. It's supposed to be a little relaxed, a little casual. And that's what I am. I'm relaxed and casual, but I got the collar because I mean business, Yano. So why don't you oh get to the God. point, Chris, instead of talking about my wardrobe <laughs> and hairstyle. Wow, that was, I mean, that was a significant argument, but I still think it's a fail. But Keith stepped in to help you out. So he, basically all you did, Keith, was just make him feel better about himself and his excuse. Thank you. All right. <laughs> You're already getting off to a good start. This is great. So listen, man, what a, we have a stellar lineup already for uh, 2021 of guests um, you know, and, and again, I just want to say to all the listeners right now, super grateful, uh, for everyone that's reached out. Um, our 50th episode was a huge hit. It was great. Um, producer Kyle spent a ton of time putting that thing together of 50 of our best moments across all the podcasts last year. Um, and then we rolled out, uh, you know, our first podcast of the year with Jamie Domenico, and we, ha- I've had a ton of people reach out to me, Paul, like a ton. I'm talking like at least a couple dozen people have reached out to me specifically, Um, that's how, you know, we're doing something right. People are taking away things and actually implementing them in their business. And I'll share some of that at the end. So people sent me some specific messages, dude, that made me well up. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. That's cool. So I'm not afraid to admit it. You know, I well up, I read a message. I was excited because that's the whole reason we do this podcast, right? Is to give back. Exactly. So our next guest on today is no secret in the trades, right? He'd been around for a minute. Um, he's only got a couple flaws that I know about. Um, one being that he's a Patriots fan. Um, you know, I, and I, I listen, but I think that uh, we might share something in common, even though you're a Patriots fan. You probably don't say that as loud this year, though, I would imagine, that you're a Patriots fan. Say it, say it louder, of course. <laughs> uh, recall I'm a, we were the worst franchise in football before we were the best franchise in the history of football. So. That's fair. Here we go. Yeah, Here Chris, write go. that down. Producer Kyle, write that down hey, for do you, Chris. You know what NFL stands for, right? Not for long. Okay, let it go. Um, 18 years. So, hey, does, are you... Do you despise the Pittsburgh Steelers as much as I do? I do. I, I do. In fact, I, I hadn't posted on Facebook for probably like six months. And the only thing that brought me out of hiding was just to dance on the grave of their undefeated season the other day. Because I can't think of anything that would have been more intolerable than Steelers fans with an undefeated record. I think I heard about this. And so I'm going to give a shout out to my, <laughs> to my friend who I had this conversation with, who actually is the one that said, you got to have this guy on your podcast, Mr. Bill Russell. I know you're listening, buddy. Um, I heard That's him, good Bill. I heard him botch up your intro on the, his <laughs> podcast and get it wrong. So I'm gonna bust his chops a little bit, but um, I'm, I despise the Steelers. Why? Because I'm an Arizona Cardinals fan. And I'll tell you right now, San Antonio Holmes, two feet weren't down in that Super Bowl. Cardinals should have won. Okay. There, I said it. I oh. meant it. Um, Very good. Now, you're from Watertown, Massachusetts, right? Yeah, minus the speech impediment. You got it. <laughs> exactly. Pretty, Thank pretty you. Pretty close. Massachusetts. Yes. Massachusetts. <laughs> um, but you know what's interesting about your town, but other than Conley's that you're telling me about, is 
the plumbing museum. What is that? Is <laughs> Have that you heard true? of that? I am a plumber from Watertown, Massachusetts. I did not know we had a plumbing museum. So that's here's a fact. That's a fact. You are the museum. It's a fact. Here's what my two cents is on this. I'll bet you this is what it is. Someone wanted to, to turn their warehouse into a nonprofit and created a museum. And I, no, I actually looked it up online. I saw whenever I was trying to see that, you know, um, it was a suburb of Boston. I was trying to see where. And I saw the plumbing museum popped up in the Google map. Look on your phone. You'll see it. It's a I'm real thing. I'm looking it up right now. Oh, look at Brilliant. this. Like, what do we do with all these old parts? <laughs> I love that. It's, I could totally see Watertown Supply having turned into a museum. God, that place saved my life when I was a plumber. I used to go in there to water. There was a, there was a guy named Kano who worked the front desk, Jim Kane. He, he was from Oklahoma originally, if I remember correctly. And this guy was, you know, he was like one of these classics. He'd been around for like a hundred years in the trades and uh, just a total throwback, you know, just, I mean, as soon as work got done, he went to the bar, drank his beers and went home, like oh, lived that life. Man. And I would go in there, you know, I would go to a customer's house and like take apart the faucet and I'd be like, yeah, I just need to go grab a part or two. And I would just bring all the parts in and dump them on the counter in front of Kano and be like, dude, what do I do with this? <laughs> and he would just, he would be like, I got you. I'll figure it. And he would go pull parts from his incredible, this man, What he would be the curator of the plumbing museum if uh, if anybody would. Well, his name is pretty and badass, he, by the way. Kano. Oh, dude. He, he, he saved my ass straight through the, I'm guessing we can swear <laughs> since you have a swear in your introduction. Is that, That's fair. Yes. That's a fair assessment. Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. We're going to try to dial it back this year. Um, no, we're not. So, hey, now real quick. So I want, before I get into a couple of questions, we're going to do a couple things different. And you're going to be the guinea pig this time, Keith. Um, but I do want to talk about uh, your, your time at Nexstar. Um, a lot of folks listening know you from Nexstar. Um, and you were there for eight, about eight years, 2011 to 19. Is that right? You nailed it, yeah. So you want to know what Paul called you? Paul, you want to tell, tell uh, Keith what you called him? No, uh, I don't think I remember. You do. You said he's the Moses of Nexstar. The Moses of Nexstar. <laughs> that's right. That, that was so. We we spent time a couple days ahead, like making sure we know, you know, preparing. But yeah, I was like, this guy's like the Moses of Nexstar. He delivered. Uh, that's that's fantastic. Right? I that's... mean, I, I'd say it's a, a very far-reaching uh, possible moniker to, to try to hold up to. Um, <laughs> but you'll take it. Take it as a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> take it as a compliment. Now, hey, I want to ask you about this real quick, too, because um, we'll get I'm, I, you know, I'm sure you'll talk a little bit about your next star experience whenever we're going through uh, just a little bit of your history. But let's talk about your troops to uh, troop to trades thing, your troops mm. to trades stuff. Now, you started this. Did you start? The, you're the founder, right? I am the founder. Yeah. And yeah. and you started it. It's a 501 C3. It's a nonprofit um, that involves the military. I don't want to I don't want to I, I don't want to not give it the credit it's due. Um, but you started in 2012 and you're, are you still running that through today? Is it no. done? Yeah. Yeah. No. So I've, I, that, that got turned over to much more capable hands. You know, we, when, when I joined Nextar, we had for years had a, um, a sister company that was a nonprofit that was designed to bring people into the trades and help support, you know, trades organizations. And so I just saw an opportunity to build this underneath that, umbrella. And so they, you know, they've held on to it and, um, and it's in really good hands over there and the board, I, I still can't believe just how many people were inspired by and, and, you know, wanted to be a part of that mission. And it was a, a simple concept. You know, we were watching veterans come home and not having, you know, there were kind of two primary things. They weren't getting gainfully employed right away because they would come home after five, 10 years in the military, but they didn't have any 
you know, experience. And like, I just heard you talking about this on one of your podcasts the other day that, you know, we're trying to bring people into the industry and we're like, Hey, we need people. And then we're like, but you also have to have five years of experience before we hire you. It's like, what, what are we doing here? Right. And so they were running up against this. Right. And, um, man, I mean, this, I, I don't want to, you know, derail this too much, but I didn't know we were going to start here. And it's something that I'm still so passionate about. I can tell. So these guys are coming home. They don't have people in the, you know, they don't have opportunities to, to go make gainful employment. They're yep. taking massive pay cuts to go become $14 an hour apprentices. Yep. And meanwhile, we've got an industry that's desperately looking for people. And so it was just a perfect marriage and, and union. And, you know, what was amazing about it, and some of my terminology is pretty rusty here, but, you know, during the, the, um, the GI uh, bill, Instead of utilizing that for, um, for you know, just going to a four-year college, they, what we we're actually able to do, and this was, uh, I want to say it was um, Brad Krause who really helped us discover this, uh, who's the owner of a great um, company up in uh, Michigan and uh, the service service professor. And uh, his he was able to help us find this, but companies could actually hire veterans and have their wages supplemented on the company side so that we could pay veterans more than the $14 per hour without it being a hit to the company so that we could help them bridge that gap. Cause a lot of these guys had established families, men and women had established families sure. and had been making a lot more money in the military. And that was, that was a real catapult. So again, you know, like anything, it was an idea that would have been nothing it would have been one of my thousand bar ideas that never went anywhere. Uh, and instead it, it really, you know, got a lot of great people behind it who kind of catapulted it and, um, you know, hopefully it's just still getting started. I love it, man. And the reason I brought that up was uh, certainly on purpose because I think it's also important to show when somebody has a, uh, what we have, we did our little heart for the trades thing um, during COVID. And we certainly are huge advocates of giving back. Um, and I just wanted to share that if those who didn't know that about you, now they do. Um, that oh, I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty exceptional thing to do. That would have been easy to do nothing. Right. So you put the extra effort into it. So kudos to you, my friend. And actually it's kind of par for the course for what I've learned about you too, because um, once you have, you know, when we have a lot of people on the, sh uh, the on the show and um, they share all their you know, information, they share their knowledge, their wisdom, all these things. But what we're finding out is a commonality is they just, they want to give back to help others. And that really showed up big time this year. And so, um, so I want to make sure I do a, a proper introduction though, too. So I don't blow past it, but um, our guest on the day is Keith Mercurio. Um, he's the CEO and founder of Ethical Influence Institute. Um, but like you guys, you know, he's been in the, in the trades for a while, and he'll tell, tell more of his story in a minute. But he's also the senior director of executive success at Service Titan. Um, so then that's a newer role for you, right? I mean, it's a pretty new role, but actually it's part of the course for what you do with the Ethical Influence Institute. Um, yeah. But, man, and he's a humble guy because he's not – I mean, he'll, he'll tell you he's not really here to – um, he's not really here to share his inspirational story, but to help, you know, to help you, the listeners kind of write yours or begin yours or start down that process of creating what's your story going to be. And, and that's a, uh, and that's a super humbling, um, you know, example of, I think who, who you are, I've gotten to know in a short amount of time. So, but what I'm going to do, man, I'm gonna do something a little different. Paul, you ready? I'm nervous. Uh, I'm not actually, I'm kind of nervous about it. So I want to do this, uh, you know, I think that I'm mean, listen. I'm a personal guy, right? Like I, uh, I take everything personal. I run a business. For those who don't know, listening for the first time, I'm the CEO of a company called Rhino Strategic Solutions, which is a digital marketing company for the trades since 2008. So 13 years in the trades, and I've ran this company with empathy, okay, and transparency, and I uh, and I love everybody, man. My family, like I call them, everybody that works for us is is family. Um, 
But I like to get to know them as human beings first and then find out where they at professionally, right? So I'm going to find out who Keith is as a human being. You ready for this, Keith? Ooh, I like this. I love it. So if you can have dinner with anyone, who would it be? Mm. First thing that comes to mind, because if you overthink it, you're going to give what you think is the political answer. It's my dad. Love it's it. my dad. Okay. Yeah. That's, up. That's all, all good. So I know, I know it's an, it's a boring answer. So let me just take a moment, you know, from, cause nobody knows my dad, so that won't resonate, but this guy's a lifelong educator. And, and you said that I'm humble. I'm, I'm not humble, dude. That is, I, I aspire to be humble, <laughs> but even that would be an example of like the lack of humility. Anyone that has to think about being humble, isn't humble. So I humble with I benefits, not, right? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like I, I, I need credit. I need praise. I need feedback. I'm the furthest thing from humble. My dad is humble. That man is a servant. So that's why, you know, he's just a teacher and educator, lifelong humility. Well, then so, listeners, I apologize. A, there's a tie back. Listeners, I apologize. He's actually an arrogant asshole. I'm so sorry. I got it all wrong. <laughs> I like to hope it's somewhere in between, but it's definitely not humble. Well, we, we had to go both extremes just to turn out back in. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, no, I appreciate that. Um, and so number two, you ready? What is the most recent show that you binge watched? Oh, uh, Mandalorian. My wife and I just ripped through the two seasons of The Mandalorian, and it was unbelievable. I did not expect that it could be possibly that good. Okay. Queen's Gambit was up there, too. If you haven't seen that yet, that was killer. Uh, I've been binge watching Blacklist, even though it's been around for a while. Great Dude, show. I'm stuck on Yellowstone. I'm at the ranch oh. right now. I'm not even in this conversation. I'm at the ranch so trying good. to kill people, protect my turf. <laughs> Moving on. My buddy Bobby time. Hamilton texted me the other day with the perfect, he said in the, uh, in regard to Yellowstone, he said, everybody's the hero of their own story. And I thought that was such an awesome way to encapsulate that show, but also to actually like, that's how life is, right? Everyone's the hero of their own story. That's good. That's good. Last question. This is an important one. This is really going to tell me a lot about who you are, Keith. So Keith's a wrestler. Keith, the Macho Man Mercurio, is walking in. <laughs> no disrespect to Macho Man. Uh, rest in, may God rest his soul. Um, so listen, you walk in. What is your entrance music? Oh, well, what was... Uh, what was... Um, Razor Ramon's intro music. Razor Ramon. Oh my gosh. Because, because my buddies have referred to me as Razor Ramon for over 20 years now. Solid. Razor yeah. Ramon. Producer Kyle will find out. He's looking at <laughs> oh Let's gosh. get that going. He's whatever that right is. Now. Chris Ramon. is looking it up right now. Chris, I got to say, the icebreaker. It's okay. It's a good use of time. I liked it. Bad boy. Hold on. Oh, that's good. That's really good. Your next keynote, you need to factor that in. 100%. I love it. Well, and I, I usually walk into um, Nationwide by ZZ Top as my keynote intro music. So Nice. Atta boy. Kyle don't know who ZZ yeah. Top is. Okay. All right, Yano, back on the it. train track. Let's get into it. Okay. So, hey, let's do this, Keith. Um, one, thanks for indulging in my new little icebreaker conversation thing. Um I like to have those kind of conversations. So that makes me feel a little bit more like we're having a personal conversation to start to get to know each other. You know, now we're past and we're in the honeymoon phase. Uh, let's go get into mm -hmm. it. So share with our listeners 
Um, just kind of how you got into the trades and, and, and give like more of the 30,000 foot view for the sake of time because I drug it out too far in the beginning. Um, but okay. just kind of walk us through like how you got in the trades and then kind of where you're at today and before we get into some of the executional type questions. Yeah, I uh, went to, you know, went off to college to, to mostly play baseball, got injured, dropped out, blamed a lot of people in a lot of circumstances, uh, which, you know, is a big part of my learning curve, but went to work uh, for my next door neighbor, Tim Flynn, Tim Flynn and Gene Cataldo. Uh, they owned Winters Plumbing at that time in Belmont, and I worked for them for eight years, and uh, we became uh, members of Nexstar. And, uh, and that was what started that next transition. But these were critical mentors in my, my early life, my early career. Okay. So today, like, what are you doing today? What is, what does Keith do today to help or to help uh, those in the trades? So, you know, interestingly, like to be very literal about it right before this, I was on a, I was on a coaching call with a sales manager over at service Titan, who's, you know, working with one of his team members uh, on a, you know, a performance plan. Um, and what we were really digging in on is how is this manager going to choose to see this person in a way that honors and serves them and assures their greatest level of success? Because, you know, what you look at, for example, with most executives is, uh, you know, managers, they put somebody on a performance plan. That's just a code for how we're going to document this person leaving the business. And that has everything to do with mentality, mindset, how we choose to see people is how we're going to end up ultimately behaving towards those people. And so I coach executives and executive teams in uh, becoming more influential leaders, which, you know, John Maxwell said that influence is merely um, leadership is a matter of influence, nothing more, nothing less. Um, But the question is, how do you influence people in a way that honors and serves them? And yeah, go ahead, Paul. No, no, please. Well, just, I mean, that's the ultimate question is, is how do you get people to do stuff, right? Which is what leadership is. That's what a business needs. We need to get people to do things, but get them to do things in a way that truly honors and serves them. That stops short of manipulating, coercing, forcing, just trying to bribe, you know, in all the different ways that we typically lean into leadership models. And that's my passion. That's what I love to bring to leadership teams. And, uh, you know, that's what I do today with the plan to do that in a revolutionary way in across all industries. What was that move like for you? I mean, you were at Nexstar for eight years and you took their training from one level to kind of where it is today. Probably has arguably the tightest, most professional group of contractors um, community-wise throughout the country. And then what led you to say, you know what, I kind of want to do some things differently. Like what was that moment and what's that journey been like? I love that question. Thank you. I'll only argue with arguably. That's like saying Tom Brady is arguably the greatest quarterback ever. Uh, <laughs> there is no question that Nexstar has. I'm very biased, even there, even though they're sure. a former. I've only known them, uh, but there's they're the best. I mean, that organization is the tightest. It is the best. It was so well run by Jack Tester and now Julian Scadden will be a great CEO for them for years to come. And um, you know they're in a really good position, but that journey was the coolest thing I ever got exposed to. You know, I, I was their first full-time trainer prior to that. They'd only used member trainers who were already extraordinary. So these were owners or GMs of member companies. Um, and they were, you know, really exceptional people. Uh, and I had admired and looked up to them. My first exposure to next Star training, this guy, Dave Bodick, who's still a trainer over at next Star today was on stage. And five minutes into that, I said, this is what I want to do. 
And a few years later, I would leave my company and become their first full-time trainer and then eventually director of training for them. Um, That journey was defined by some pretty incredible stuff. One, you know, no question, I put in a, a lot of work. I was really driven mostly out of fear of failure over there, which, you know, is pretty common. We're going to come back um, to that, by the way. But yes, keep no going. doubt, no doubt, sure. And and uh, but you know, I had guys like Dan Friesen who was mentoring me. I remember Dan Friesen probably the most critical moment. We were losing a lot of ground um, to other trainers in the industry. In my first couple of years, there was kind of a little bit of a, a sway there. And uh, Dan Friesen came up with this one question when we were kind of having conversations around people choosing who they wanted to train with, and he said. The only question I want to ask you is um, if your customer was sitting in the back of the room watching your training, would you be proud of it? And that flipped a switch for me. And that became the absolute filter for all of our training content that every single thing we taught would be taught as though the customer were in the back of the room watching it. Right. And once you put that filter on it, you took away all possibility of teaching any manipulative tactics, anything that fundamentally didn't honor and serve the customer, right? Influence them in a way that honors and serves them. So you've talked about, you know, being in that role and being new to it and having crippling insecurity about letting people down, right? Talk to me about crippling insecurity. Talk to me about the upside of that and the downside of that. All right. So this is a really wonderful path to be, to be going down. So, you know, there's a, a pretty amazing, uh, study that came out of the New York Times a few years ago. Forty people have, on average, forty to sixty thousand thoughts per day. Of those, ninety-eight um, percent are the exact same as yesterday, and of those, eighty percent are negative. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, it almost sounds impossible. But then, when you start to really analyze, take a step back and look at your thought patterns, you know, as I do, I think about the first few minutes of my day, and I mean, it starts with like you know, I'm annoyed at the, you know, alarm clock or, um, you know, and I look at myself in the mirror and I'm, my hairline's receded overnight and my, you know, I'm getting fatter and like all these things are, and it's like, it's actually possible to believe that. And so, you know, these, this concept of insecurity, I remember sitting in my very first next star meeting and, uh, it was, um, it would have been in November of 2011. And I remember I wrote my goal for the year was that I wouldn't just make it, but I would actually contribute something meaningful. And I had to set this goal because I was so terrified that I didn't even belong there. Mm -hmm. And every time I step up in front of an audience, every time I get on a coaching call before this podcast, I continue to get nervous. What if they don't like me? What if I don't say the right thing? What if I don't leave the right impression? And the entire process is just how do I learn to intercept those non-conscious thought patterns and replace them with patterns that honor and serve me? And, and that's the, so the downside is that it is, uh, overwhelming, that it leads to a lot of, um, I think selfish behavior that it leads to a lot of, uh, you know, those insecurities lead to a lot of kind of protective behaviors, um, self-defensiveness. The upside is that it can create a lot of drive to, you know, be better. Um, and, and to, you know, to overcome those, those self-doubts. When you look back over that period of time, particularly like your first time stepping on stage or the first time someone, you know, paid next star, however, you know, five figure check for you to come spend a week with their team. You look back on that and think, wow, that insecurity was unwarranted or was it appropriate? Oh, God, it was completely appropriate. I still it's still totally appropriate. Every time (laughs) someone writes me that, you know, signs an agreement with me. 
I, that's the moment when I go, Oh shit. Like that, they just paid me more than I'm worth. And now yeah. I have to work so hard to be worth what they just paid me. Yeah. And and I wanted to pause there on, on the crippling insecurity or just insecurity in general, because I find that in some high level people that once you have it, like you can manage it, but like the fear of letting people down, the fear of not delivering, the fear of coming on this show and not doing your absolute best is absolutely crippling. Like I get it 100%. That, that's so well said because this was, and this ties back to some content I heard on, on one of you guys' previous shows. Um, but like, it is so critical. Mike, Mike Mandel, who's a, a hypnotherapist from Canada, really fascinating guy to, to research and, and, you know, probably the foremost authority on, on understanding non-conscious behaviors. Essentially what he teaches is how do we use our conscious mind to overcome those, those barriers that live in our non-conscious. And, the concept of, um, of just say yes was one of the most critical pieces to the expansion of my career because I was consistently being offered opportunities that I did not, I had every reason in the world to say no to them. And then that would resonate and ring true with me. And it was just say yes. And this is exactly, I mean, that I, I can attribute that, that as much as anything to, to, and it was all about saying yes to the things that terrified me. So last question before we get back on script, because I know I've kind of hijacked things. What was it that gave you the confidence to make the move to say yes to going out on your own and testing the market and, and basically, you know, now being able to, you know, before where you're talking to thousands of contractors a year, now you're working with a handful and you're going deeper instead of wider. What gave you the confidence to make that move? Yeah, really well said. So I don't know that confidence was it. Um, Courage, I think, precedes confidence, right? So, uh, you know, I, I there, there were a couple of things. One was the blessings of Nextstar. Look, I got to be on stage next to John Maxwell, Les Brown, Pat Lencioni, Gina Wickman, uh, like literally the greatest speakers and leaders of our lifetimes. Like sure. that's yeah. not an exaggeration, right? right? Like yep. quite actually, I followed John Maxwell on stage. Like that's ridiculous. And that was <laughs> purely the result of, you know, my, my circumstances being what they were and whatever work that I had done to be worthy of that stage, but, but not John Maxwell's stage. Now over enough repetitions, you know, enough evaluations that came back and I'm seeing that like, I'm scoring alongside, like I outscored Emmett Smith one year. Like that was pretty cool. I'm like, okay, you know, like I, I can play on the, on the stage. I can play on the stage. Right. And so that, that gave me, that was the little bit of confidence. The courage in large part came, my wife was immensely supportive. Like she really wanted to see me break out and do more, like to, to expand my brand beyond the trades, to, to become a keynote speaker, to explore my skill set and everything else. And so she, she really prompted me. Um, people who were close to me, they gave me the confidence. Like the, the level of belief that people have in me astounds me. And, uh, and thank God for it because it's not there without them. So um, you know, those were, those were the key pieces, like the people that, you know, really love and support me kind of continuing to push me and a little bit of evidence from saying yes enough times to scary things that I could hang in any audience in front of any industry. It wasn't just about plumbing. One, one more quick one, like my buddy, um, cause he believes in me, Jason Coons, the head of, uh, of, of safety over at uh, 3M he and I would, you know, I would do coaching sessions with him on Sundays. And finally he started saying, man, why don't you come in and speak to our team? And I'm in a room talking to like over a billion dollars worth of account reps at 3M in health and safety. I have no background in that industry. 
And they're telling me it was one of the most profound sessions or the most profound session they'd ever attended. And I'm starting to go, okay, this can play anywhere. So what's interesting about you saying yes is that um, there's guys like me that aren't, aren't built that way because I'm built to say yes to everything. I'm super high risk. Um, and mm. we took, I can't remember, Paul, if it was like our second or, or first or second or when it was when we were in New York at VaynerMedia. So, um, Keith, do you know who Gary Vaynerchuk is? I sure do. So Gary's a part. Well done, Kyle. Um, so <laughs> Gary's a partner of ours. And um, in one of our executive meetings that we did with, with Gary – um, he, he, my wife is our COO at Rhino and we're um, polar opposites. So in the executive meetings, it's usually her and I going head to head on things. Um, but I have a lot of ideas and a lot of times Paul has to catch those ideas and then try and help us figure out how to make them happen because I like speed. Um, I'm okay with trying things and failing and, and, uh, um, but Anna is not, Anna's my wife. So we're in this executive meeting and she brings up in the meeting hey, what do I do when Chris keeps coming to me with all these things that he wants to do? He wants to add this team. He wants to do this. He wants to do that. He wants to launch a podcast, which um, turns out was a great idea. So, But he had said, just say yes. Just say yes, which I, in that moment, was like out loud yelling, yeah. And then Anna, and actually, if you ca- some of our pictures, you'll know, like you'll catch Anna She's got her hand like this on her, like I'm putting my uh, hand on my cheek. Yeah. If you look, her middle finger's up. She's flipping me off because she knows that is 100% the answer that I wanted. And, yeah. uh, and I won that battle. And thank you to Gary Vaynerchuk for that help. SmartAC.com. SmartAC.com. If you haven't heard of it, you better find out. If you haven't implemented it, you better check it out. You have to get started doing something. 2024 is going to be an absolute battlefield. What are you doing differently than your competitors? You need to make sure that your memberships are sticky. SmartAC.com does that. Lifetime warranty, insurance savings, filter discounts, 24-7 monitoring that lets you know about problems before the homeowner might even know about the problem. Live tech chat, service providers, all of this with smartac.com. You've got to check it out now. Well, and, and that's really interesting because you, you bring him up and two things. One, just, you know, that like those are the moments you have to learn not to celebrate in the end zone, right? Like just put the ball down, pretend like you've been nope. there before. Just take your victory, right? Nope. I had and, to uh, celebrate. She needed it. <laughs> she needed it. <laughs> but, but, you know, there's, um, you know, what's really interesting about Gary Vaynerchuk, like I, I, um, I have like a whole like resentment towards Gary V and I know how good a partner he is. I kept seeing him in your thing and I had to like force myself to listen to him again. And this is, I, I share that to say this, like, you know, first of all, this guy is an outrageous success and well, rightfully so. And this is part of the crippling insecurity. Like I would, I resent people like this first before I admire them. Right. Like, it's like, that should be what, like, who's he, what's he got that I don't have, right. Everything else. And but just last night, while I was listening to some shows of yours to prepare for this, I had to force myself to, to hit play on Gary V and push myself to say, okay, Keith, let's go find out how wrong you are right now. And I think, and by the way, I was, he was wonderful to listen to. Like the first thing I heard Paul talk about was how warm the guy is. Right. And I'm like, this of course is nothing of what I had thought, but like that to me is the most important work is like, you can have your beliefs, you can have, but much more important than finding out what you're right about is finding out what you're wrong about. 
like that's my mission if i if i have a day where i'm fine and this isn't like just some bullshit yeah like if i find out i'm wrong about three things today think about how much possibility there is for tomorrow to be different and and we get so attached to being right and the more we prove that we're right we're only proving our current status and that's the stuff that like that's what this is all about to me so gary v my apologies not that you care (laughs) we'll ever hear this or it's like it's like my hatred of LeBron. Like LeBron doesn't know that he's my arch nemesis, but you know, he, it's, it's happening, but you know, it was wonderful to listen to and to be proven wrong once again about some you know nonsense beliefs that I'm carrying that come from a place of insecurity. And that's super thoughtful. Kyle tag that. Um, so I was going to oh, tag, yeah. tag that post. You're saying that timestamp it or what he, that quote he just said. Yeah. Listeners, if there's one thing you can take away from a podcast that right there listen to that again so before we get back on track because i know we've not even really touched the questions that we told you to prepare to come in and answer <laughs> i have one more thing one more question i want to ask you particularly about your time, experience at next star we've interviewed so many people um, on the podcast and then also privately because of our own business that we run that when they tell their company story next star is stuck right in between before and after right so right in between where Things were going one way, they joined Nexstar, and now it's going another way. So is that unique to Nexstar? Is it unique to the uh, type of contractors they're working with? Is it the community? Why is that? God, you're a thoughtful guy. This is a, a wonderful question. So, you know, I think it's twofold. There's so, so one thing that is unique to Nexstar that can never be duplicated is it's a member-owned organization. It answers to a board of its elected members. No CEO, no executive was ever going to get rich at Nexstar. And so for all the companies that like to write on their wall, customer first, or, you know, we're here to serve or whatever, like we're Nexstar was literally built that way. And you can't replicate that unless you're willing to do that. And, you know, that was a a true effort of, of service from Frank Blau, the founder. So, Its effectiveness is unique in the fact that its members have to succeed for them to stay members and they have to stay members for Nexstar to exist. So there is a unique effectiveness to Nexstar. The other part though, that is, that's there is, and this would go for me or any other coach, trainer, anybody else, by the time, like there's no greater position to be in than when somebody seeks guidance, right? So the, you can't coach the uncoachable. And that doesn't mean that any human is uncoachable. It means all of us at some moments in our lives are just uncoachable. We're not ready to hear what we need to hear, see what we need to see, learn where we're wrong. So when someone seeks you, they're ready, right? They're ready for that change. They want something different. So they're prepared to to actually engage and, and do the work. It's different than when you send, and this is why tra- companies need to learn. You don't send your guys off to training and tell them, go learn this if they're not ready, because they're not going to, they're not in a state like for the trainer, you're creating an entire barrier they need to overcome. So it's twofold in that regard, that it becomes a launching point because one next star was incredible at what they do is incredible at what they do. And two, by the time people get there and make that investment, they're ready for it. Got it. Hey, do you know, um, Garrett cook? Oh yeah. So Garrett, <laughs> so Garrett, um, and I went to school together. You went to Purdue. Well, no, no, no. Uh, we went to high school together. Oh, so, gotcha. So he was a, uh, a freshman when I was a senior. I graduated with his sister. He was a wrestler. I was a wrestler. Um, yeah. But so it was cool because when 
Were you out here this past year when, um, I guess you, you probably weren't. Um, next no, I was not. They had the meeting out here, and actually he was a live in person meeting, so I got to hang out with, with Garrett, and I forget he's been a part of Next Star. I coached for like a long time there. So He's, he's a trainer. He's an Star trainer. trainer. That's so, it. Thank yep. you. Yep. So, an exceptional one, too, by the way. We go way uh, back. Really great guy. Great golfer. Uh, great man. Yeah, he played golf. That's right. Even, he's a yeah. great, great and without question, the best looking person to ever attend Purdue University. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, a, that's a low bar to carry. I don't know if wow. you've ever watched a Purdue basketball game, but yeah, it's something. <laughs> so Keith, let me tell you, I'm a monster Purdue fan. Huge Purdue this fan. This is perfect. This is so, perfect. Um, so, as an Ohio State fan, we pronounce it per don't. Oh God. Perfect. Okay. Well done. Nice sound effect Whatever, there. Because... I, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> per, Purdue is, in, it's the, about the only sports program I just won't watch. I just turn it off instantly because oh, I know okay. nothing exciting is going to happen. Well, that's it, folks. It's been great All having right, you nope, on nope, the show nope. today. I'm going res- to resuscitate this thing before it goes off the rails. Please, so, okay. Paul, please do. All right, here we go. Back on track. So I want to transition now to what you're doing currently, the today, okay? Mm -hmm. So you talk about identity is what drives the outcomes of our business, right? And our lives. And in your current job looks, I mean, if I'm summarizing your mission appropriately, and please correct me if I'm not, you talk about serving leaders to transform their identity to influence culture. I can't think of a bigger task. Like, hiring someone to come in and transform their identity. You're not talking about transforming culture, transforming operations, transforming marketing. Like those things are linear things. How do you transform or even influence the transformation of like alpha character or alpha identities? Perfect. So this is, you know, this is where this journey begins and ends. So, so, or where it began. So I'm training, I'll I'll just take a step back to answer this question, a, a little bit of a meander. But, you know, I'm training tens of thousands of technicians and, and salespeople inside of my work at Nexstar. And a lot of these trainings, like, you know, I mean, amazing that Jamie Domenico was, he was probably the third person to ever hire me to come down and train him, uh, John Gennaro, these guys down in Florida. Yep. And I had a quarterly trip to Florida, by the way, out of Minnesota. Every year they would bring me in four times a year. I would go down and all of those companies would come together and I'd be training there employees in the service system and sales systems at Nexstar. And it was, I mean, pretty sweet life that had gotten set up, you know, nice destination. It was work I love to do. But after a few years, I started to see something happening with some of the companies, not all of them, but with a lot of the companies that I was training, I was seeing these guys year after year that were returning to the program. And I could see that they had as inspired as they had left, that they were back closer to the baseline that I had originally met them on. And I started to become really cognizant of this and i'm saying what is going on here and i would watch managers sit in the back of the room be on their phones they'd step out maybe they'd be there for one day i'm sitting there and i'm watching it and then i started looking at the statistics and i was seeing that we were training something like 80 percent of our companies were sending their employees to frontline training meaning you know technicians csrs essentially customer facing or revenue facing positions and like 30 percent were sending their managers to leadership training And now I started to really dig in on this and I'm sitting here going, this is becoming very clear. And, you know, this is, this is what I came to to discover in this work. And then this lends itself to your answer. Managers and leaders believe just automatically as do the employees that they've reached a certain height of success, that whatever their knowledge, their skill set is that they're an authority figure. And 
what I often hear is I hear managers talk about, oh, I got to get my guys to buy in, which is probably my least favorite phrase in all of leadership. Um, you know, and this idea, like, yeah, we just got to get them to buy in. Like if they just knew what I knew, then they'd be successful. And it's the managers and executive team think that they've got the information that they need in order to rise, you know, raise the tide of their, their team members. And here's what I'm sharing with you from my experience. People will only grow at the rate at which leadership grows, not to the height at the rate. It's a, this is a, a linear path. And so if I'm trying to grow my team members, I need to be on the ascent myself. And so it was when I made this shift, Paul and Chris, when I made this shift, what I got really clear about was I will only executives would come to me and say, I want you to come in and transform our culture, come in and train our people, my managers, my team needs this. And I said, I'm going to stop you right there. There's only one way we're going to start this work together. You have to be first to do it. If you're not willing to do the painful, ugly, intense work of transformation, identity transformation, we're not even going to bother with your team. Yep. And, and that became the dividing line because that creates the cap. It's the law of the leadership lid. And Maxwell yep. talks about it as being stationary. I'm talking about it as being linear. It, it's on an ascent. And if you don't keep growing, your team will only grow at that rate. So that's the first point. So one of the, the benefits that I have of this is I say no to companies all the time because their executives aren't there yet. They're not ready. Yeah. They're not ready to do that work. So by the time somebody brings me in, I've already had the conversation with them. What does that mean to you? Right? So you, the executive who's looking to hire me right now, what does it look like? What kind of a coach? One of my questions on my coaching intake form is what will it be like to coach you? And I'm looking to now ask this person. Now, what this person is now doing is they're declaring their intent of what their coachability will look like. Yep. Well, what people also tend to stay consistent to is their spoken committed word. And so part of the process for you're asking, how do you take on, you know, the, the egos that one, I mean, the, the biggest piece is just let them tell you, right. I let them tell me why they're going to be worth the investment, what they're willing to and committed to doing in order to create the space for their team to grow in a way that is, um, that is meaningful. And from there, now we dig in and we start doing the work and, and I'll share part two with you. Part two was um, I needed to set it up so that I wasn't beholden to any one place, one company, one executive for my own livelihood. Mm -hmm. Because to speak as directly and effectively as I need to, to someone in a coaching and training format, if in the back of my mind, I'm going, if I say the wrong thing right now, if I offend them in front of their team, if I do whatever I'm about to do and they fire me, I'm going to be without a paycheck. I couldn't have that. And so I got rid of that by having multiple, multiple spaces where I can, if I screw up tomorrow with, you know, this multi-billion dollar incredible company over here at Service Titan, and I blow it with, you know, their incredible executive team. And I say <laughs> something to offend R and Vahe, I don't have to worry if I'm going to eat tomorrow. Like I'll be yeah. really disappointed in my, you know, insecurity will rail me, but I'll, uh, I'll have, you know, I'll, I'll have known that I had, the courage to honor and serve these people in the way that they deserved. And, uh, and I said what needed to be said, and that's how I've been able to cut through. I think the ego that usually is um, impenetrable. What kind of impact has that had on your personal life now that that barrier is not there or that string is not there? 
So, you know, I think what it has done in, in my really good friendships, it's really strengthened them. Mm-hmm. My close relationships, it's made them a lot, a lot better. Um, I think in the course of the work, uh, in some of the more fragile ones, uh, it, it kind of created more separation. Um, now I'm not giving permission to, you know, to be an asshole either. Right. right? Like the, you know, at the, one of the phrases that the apostle Paul said, speak the truth in love. And, you know, this is about coming from a place of love. And when you come from that place, you can say anything to anyone if it's truly generated from love and you're giving yourself up. And, you know, that's what happens is, is that most people will, they'll, they'll speak the truth without the love part. They'll go, look, I just got to be honest with you. Yeah. Hey, I'm just calling it like I see it. Right. And that's the veil that we hide behind. That's like, you know, now we're saying something to somebody that is, uh, that's going to be offensive. Right. Hey, no offense, but right. Like those are the, and those are the, the speak the truth parts that aren't from a loving place, or we come from so much love that we're like, Oh, I could never say that it would upset them. It would hurt their feelings. And so, you know, what ends up happening is almost all of our communication is driven by what we're going to get from the communication. And so we're always coming from the place of what am I getting from this? And, and what, in order to speak directly in an impactful way, we have to give up what we're going to get and focus on what can we give to this person, this moment, and this it. experience. And, Love it. and when we do that, you know, we, we really have the power to impact. That's awesome. Intent. Um, yes. How, how are we doing on time, buddy? Just make sure you keep me dialed in. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Um, I don't know what was happening, man. I was, I don't, if you guys heard it, and I apologize, my phone and my watch were both going off and it was my Brink security alarm at my house where, uh, my kids are homeschooling at the moment. So we didn't, we didn't hear it. <laughs> okay. Did. So I've heard you say honor and serve many times. Um, yeah. and I love that. Um, but I want, and that's, what's well, part of your four step ethical influence model, but let's talk through that. So let's start from, you know, the first one and go through that fourth one on, on, um, like the purpose of it and just what it means. Well, so the which part the starting at the beginning so or yeah because you got so re, so uh, reconstruct your state is basically number is that the first step is that how that how it works yeah okay so, so let's go from there so, down yeah so fundamentally what we're talking about with ethical influence is it's it's born of of the idea of enhanced emotional intelligence and and there's four quadrants to this thing first thing is self-awareness second part is awareness of others third part is influence or excuse me let me start that over first part is uh awareness self-awareness second part is influence of self third part is awareness of others and the fourth quadrant is influence of others and so you know the first thing that we need to understand is like when we're you know that that this our current state like our state of mind our our emotional state our physiological state creates this filter through which we're experiencing reality and so if I'm agitated, frustrated, you know, if I'm focused on what's wrong, I'm going to, you know, be sitting in traffic. I'm going to be angry at the traffic. I'm going to be blaming traffic. I'm going to be, you know, watching this guy in front of me pull in and I'm going to be, don't you dare do this. Right. And it's going to dictate kind of how I'm experiencing the world around me. Now, if I'm in a relaxed state and I'm, I'm enjoying myself and I've got some music on in that very same traffic, you know, I might be the one waving the guy in while someone else is cursing me out for letting that person cut in front of me. So, here I am behaving completely differently with a completely different relationship to what's going on around me. But yet what I tend to do as a human being is act as though circumstances are dictating whether I'm in a good mood, a bad mood, having a great day or a lousy day. Yeah. It's not the circumstances. It's our relationship to the circumstances. Yeah, that's good. 
And so kind of part one of this is to become self-aware to say, why am I experiencing the world the way that I am right now? And, you know, there's three, three primary pieces. What we focus on, we find. Okay. Our language is part two. So focus is part one. Language is part two. Our language creates our relationship with reality. And then our physiology, how we're actually carrying ourselves, moving, breathing. And, you know, David Eagleman's quote on that, the famous neuroscientist was that the mind is translating the story the body is telling it. And so at any point in time, when you become aware of your state, if we want to switch to, you know, what am I focused on? Change my thoughts, rewrite my language, take a deep breath, and I can reset my state to one that is going to put me in a position to, to better handle what's in front of me. Thoughts become things. Exactly. Yeah, I've heard that. I'm a huge fan of that. I do think, um, and I am like the, an eternal optimist. Um, but being self-aware if you, it's hard. It's like you have to practice being self-aware because it's, you know, sometimes you're not, your autopilot's set differently. You got to re-engineer it. It's really good. And Chris, you being the eternal optimist, like this is scientifically accurate information. Like lucky people tend to be more lucky, right? So people who consider themselves lucky tend to be more lucky. And this is a, this is the science of the mind. We have a mechanism called the reticular activating system. Yep. And this thing's running in the background and it's gathering data based on our non-conscious belief system. So, you know, the clearest example of this, Chris, is, you know, everybody's probably gone through the process of wanting to buy a car, right? And you shop for that car, you look for that car, you decide to make a model, the color, whatever else you buy that car. And on the drive home and for the next three weeks, something magical happens, right? And that car suddenly starts to appear everywhere on the road around you. Right. Now it's, you, you didn't, go out consciously to try to go find that thing. But what's happening is because you've got a heightened sense of awareness, okay, now you're gathering, you're non-conscious at 11 billion bits of data per second is starting to gather information and it's filtering it and it's filtering it and going, Hey, look at that. There's your car. There's your car. There's your car. Well, if that happens with something as unimportant as a car, think about what it's doing in your business, right? If I'm sitting there saying, Hey, none of these customers, you know, oh, these, nobody in this neighborhood ever buys anything. Well, now I'm charging my reticular activation to go system to go find evidence that says nobody ever buys anything. Yep. If I'm saying I don't have any good employees in this company, nobody really cares about my stuff. Nobody's got the same mission. We're now focusing on these things, creating our state, and we think it's them when it's actually us. Yeah, that's so good. That's a, that is so good. Yeah, and th that whole analogy on the car is perfect. Because that's totally. I mean, I think most of you listening who've been everybody's bought a car at some point in time. That that happens. I think. What also happens in uh, our world is when you see a logo. Like if we have we bring on bring on a new customer and we see the logo and they're local. I mean, you start driving around, you're like, oh, there it is, oh, there it is, oh, there it is. Like you may not have noticed it before, but now you are. Great example. And so, just, I mean, you think about just how powerful that is in just something as benign as you know a logo or a car. But then you think about what is it that you've woken up today and decided that you're going to focus on finding in your life. Yep. Mm -hmm in your partner, yeah. in your business, right? It's, this is, I mean, this is why this is science. This isn't just some philosophical, you know, nonsense. I mean, this is, this isn't, and this isn't positive thinking. That is, I appreciate you're an optimist, but I, I'm really clear about this. This is not positive thinking. This is powerful thinking. That's good. Well, and, and it's essentially the foundation to everything, right? Like, and I believe this is why it's so powerful. Like I'll, I'll share with you. Um, I start my day off before I look at any uh, work emails um, 
you know, I read like the verse of the day off my Bible app, you know, and I pray for my, hmm. uh, my family. I pray, I pray for my wife, my family, um, my employees and my customers. And that's every day thing I do because it kind of sets my, me down the path of being grateful um, and being thankful. And that's the path I like to go down. And maybe that's why I become an, an optimist is that's how I start my day every day. Not saying I don't see a text message. I'm like, damn it. But I don't let it derail me. You know, I still have my well, agenda. Well, Chris, just think about this. If you, if you wake up every day and you pray for strength, and you, now you just take this out of the realm of the mystical, right? Take, I mean, put it purely into the scientific realm. You've just charged your reticular activating system with finding strength. Now it's going to find strength like it finds your car. That's good. Right. And that's, and then, that's good, and then man. you add a little touch of God to it and, and you're really onto something. Yeah. That's good, man. I, I, I really appreciate you breaking that down. That's, that's great. <laughs> and we're just on the first step still, right? Oh, we're on awesome. reconstructing your state. <laughs> That's it. That's All right. the first step, which, by the way, is a three-day training in and of itself. So. <laughs> That's a hell of a teaser, man. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. I need it. All right, so let's so, talk about the next, uh, break down the next three steps. So yeah. So, so now, you know, when we, when we talk about claiming your power, this is your ability to influence yourself, okay? So it's one thing to now notice that you're, in a particular state like yeah i'm in a terrible mood today you know i'm frustrated today but i'm just gonna stay here right that's indulgent and sometimes that's okay sometimes we do that but the next part is to actually influence yourself to be able to shift now and see your role in the world around you and this is what i would say is like you know if we're talking about problems in your business in a, in a sale whatever else this is where i, I kind of go back to the thing about being wrong look if it's not your problem then you can't fix it and so you, the pathway to power is through finding responsibility in what's wrong. If you don't find how you're responsible for it, you have no hope to fix it. And so that's what this next step is about is claiming your power. Well, the way you claim your power is by taking responsibility for something. And you have to do this. So it's a three-step system for doing so. And the first piece is, do you want that? Do you want this? Do you want the three steps or is that good enough? Yeah, man. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I'm taking notes. So, I'm a student, by the way. <laughs> oh, I appreciate you. So, all right. So Paul, the first thing is just draw two circles next to each other. All right. And cause step one of this thing is to separate the facts from the story. And so over one circle, you write facts and over the other, you write story. And what happens in life is that we experience things around us. And we experience them through language, right? Everything a human being experiences, they experience through language. So, you know, right now where, you know, somebody might be out there and they say, look, I'm, you know, I'm unhealthy, I'm out of shape, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fat, I'm, I'm whatever. And they've got all of these labels that they're placing on themselves. Well, all of those labels are telling a story. The first key to this, and those stories become completely oppressive to human beings, right? The world, I, there's nothing I can do. We've got a pandemic. We're in a recession. These are stories, right? Now, how do we separate it? We separate the facts. Here are the facts, right? The fact is I'm 200 and something pounds. The fact is I can't walk more than, you know, I, I, can, I can walk a half a mile, right? And we start to separate the story from the fact. And as soon as we do that, what we've done is we've started to, now I can deal with the actual data, the way a security camera on the wall would have recorded it. And this is where human beings can handle anything. 
It's the story that overwhelms us. Okay. And this is why you hear things like, you know, of people where, you know, two twins grew up in the same household and one of them had one life and the other had another because they had a different story. Right. He's a twin. Same. You, you experience the same facts. You wrote a different story, right? That's the interpretation piece. Sure. So, so first you separate those two things and now you have a line of attack to what the actual issue is. Okay. And from there, you ask yourself the question, what am I doing or not doing that's leading to this result? And that's the place that I will, you know, that I'm able to find my responsibility in it. That's where I claim responsibility. So now I'm on the path to power. And then the follow-up question to that is what must I do or stop doing in order to create a new result? Okay. Now here's the problem with this. People will do this assignment. I I usually do it in about 90 seconds with people in an event and we'll do it in 90 seconds and 80% of the room will find a new answer. 20% won't because the key is, you have to actually want a new outcome because the thing that's crazy about human beings is that we would rather continue living with a known problem than dare to explore an unknown solution. We like our problems a lot. (laughs) And so, so like you think about the business owner, that's absolutely convinced that he can't find good people that it, he loves that problem because that problem guarantees he's not the problem in his story and so the further we perpetuate those stories the safer we are from ever having to look at our responsibility in the issue and so the first question i have to ask people before we do this exercise is do you actually want a new outcome Mm -hmm. because the thing you need to be prepared for in the new outcome you're going to be the party at the center of it that's awesome. Dude, Keith's on one. He's I on know. One. I, I, did you want to take this transition? Kyle, obviously uh, edit this out, but um, how are we on time? I know we're pushing we're it, 57 Chris. Minutes. We're 57 minutes. We don't, get, you don't need to edit Oh, okay, great. We're good to go. So, so I, I do want to, let's go on to the next one Dude, too. That's so good, um, this, this next step is something that I am, uh, I'm always excited about because I think that uh, well, you, it, it's really ask and really listen. I believe, and this is something I had to learn, Keith, in all transparency, is listen to hear, not to respond. And mm. so, um, and that's something that, you know, as a sales guy coming into a business, you know, I didn't really have much business experience when I started the company. I was listening to respond, right? Like I already knew what I wanted to say before I even stopped. I wasn't really hearing. I wasn't really paying attention to what they were telling me and listening to them. And I had to really change that. Like that was something I had to physically work on to make sure I didn't, I kept my you know brain clear and just focused on what they were saying. And, uh, and I just sound silly, but that's how that was hard for me to, to shift. And, and I didn't know my intent was good. Okay. My intent was good, but I really needed to listen um, to hear, not to respond. So this next one, and I'm not sure if this kind of go down. I think this is where you're, this, you're talking about influence of others, but Let's talk about the really ask and really listen step in the uh, four-step ethical influence model. Well, and this is really ask and really listen falls into awareness of others, right? And, you know, but you're going to notice kind of a funny theme about all of this is that every one of these steps points back to, you know, me or you, right? It it always points back. And this is the funny thing because people have come to me 
right, in, in this model of wanting to learn to influence and for all the goals that anybody has ever, you know, written in the beginning of a class or in the beginning of a coaching relationship, whatever else, none of them ever include, I really want to learn to hear people better. Like that's never anybody's goal. They want to be heard. Right. That's, that's what we all seek. We want to be heard. And, and, you know, Chris, what you're talking about is, you know, fundamentally like in the back of Covey's book, there's a great section, you know, cause this is habit number five, I believe seek first to understand then to be understood. And, you know, th this is where some of this was born. And in the back of his book, he talks about, the, you know, the, there's an interview section with them and they say like, which, you know, which ones have you mastered? Which do you struggle with? He's like, well, I still struggle with all of them, but certainly the one I struggle with most is, is listening to understand rather than to reply. And, you know, that's, that's the model. And if you look at, I mean, from, from the moment we're born, we begin to communicate from a place of what we can get rather than what we can give. And so everything in our lives is about what we can get, right? And for the first 18 months, you do this through crying. Right? You cry and you get something like that's the auto response that you start to create. You cry. Oxytocin is released in your mother's brain. It's amazing hormone that makes her want to go fix the cry. She brings you everything necessary to try to fix the cry. And that's how we start to learn to communicate. Now at 18 months, that oxytocin dries up. One day you go to cry and, and mom isn't so empathetic anymore. Right. And so but amazingly, we're developing language at that point. And so now we learn to ask for things and we get taught the right way to ask for things to get things. And this is where we start developing our personality and communication style and everything in our world becomes about getting stuff. What's going to get me love? What's going to get me left alone? What's going to get me safety? What's going to get me food? What's going to get me praise? What's going to get me admiration? And this is the entire model for childhood. And by the age of eight, we've developed 90% of our personality and character. And now we take this into adulthood. And we go into conversations and all we're listening from now think back to that reticular activation system. We're listening from the place of what can I get and how can I use this? So you're in a sales responsibility, you know, you're having a sales conversation. And this is the joke I used to have, you know, for, for HVAC salesmen, you know, and I'd say, I'd say to, to you, the customer, right? So like, we've got the voice in our head that, you know, is always going, that's analyzing the conversation that's happening. And I like to say to say to guys, I want you to imagine that instead of that voice being silent, that it actually became your voice, right? And and you go and you ask the classic, you know, question like, so Chris, tell me who in the house suffers from allergies or asthma? And you say, nobody, nobody, everybody's <laughs> safe. <laughs> no, nobody, right? And in my head, I'm going, damn it, right? Now, I just asked you a question about your family's health and well-being, and. You know, and and you're saying, oh, no, we're, we're perfectly healthy. And in my head, I'm going, damn it. Right. Because I was never really asking the question and I wasn't listening from a place of contribution. The whole thing was a setup. Mm -hmm. Sales is just a setup. These communications are a setup. And so instead of really asking questions, we're asking leading questions to get buy in as as business leaders. Right. I watch this done all the time. I've experienced it ad nauseum. Right. You know, is do, do you want to succeed? Do you want to make more money? You know, these these ridiculous leading questions to create buy in. And then we're not really listening to the answers. We're listening to how I can use this answer to get the thing I want out of this moment. And so this whole step is I mean, this this is by far the most, I think, profound and nearly impossible step is to to just even if we can just get incrementally better at being aware of our true intent behind the question we're asking and our true intent behind the way we're listening. 
um, it's, it's revolutionary. It's completely life-changing. And I, I know we're running late. I'm just going to share this because it, it's just the, the greatest gifts I've ever been Please, given. Yeah. The, the first, the first thing is, is the, on the intent, like just really dig in and ask yourself, like, what am I really up to here? What am I really up to asking this question? What am I really up to in what I just said right there? That compliment, was that really for them? Or was that for me to get something back from them? Like, what am I really up to when I just said that? And then to learn to, to listen to the last three words. And my, my a great friend and mentor gave me that, Jack Needham, said, listen for the last three words. And, and we have one gift right now with all the, the remote stuff we're doing and all these phone calls. You want to become a great listener, learn to use your damn mute button on your phone. <laughs> just hit, just yeah. hit mute. And, and just keep listening. And you're going to be surprised how much more people had to say than you were about to let them. That's great. <laughs> That's awesome. I think that um, if I can piggyback on that real quick, you made me think of something I talk about that um, even though I say it, it's sometimes it's hard to do is I'll say give without expectation. Um, and I and because we're a big giving organization, um, it's hard to say I really give without expectation because I give to feel. Like I'm giving to feel good about giving. Now, now I don't see anything wrong with that because the intent is good. That's so good. But see, Chris, this is what's unique about you is that you're, this is the phrase I would, I would, you're authentic in your inauthenticity. Okay. See what people are out there doing is no, I'm just giving out of the goodness of my heart. Oh no. That's, that's why I'm saying anyone that says that they're humble, like nobody who talks about being humble, you can strive to be humble, but if you're like, well, I'm just a humble guy. Like, of course you're not like, you know, and so if somebody's out there that's saying like, oh, no, I'm giving without expectation, like, no, you're not. <laughs> right. But if you can acknowledge, of course, I'm giving to get a feeling right, because, yeah. you know, damn well, you give a gift that you've put a lot of thought into Feels good. and the person doesn't like it. You're like shit. You feel. Yeah. yeah. So who was the gift really for? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good that you can acknowledge that. And I don't see anything wrong with that either, Chris. Yeah. You know, but but when we're really aspiring to like an enlightened level of leadership, it's really about like, what can I give up completely here in order to give it myself? Yep. So good. Yeah. I, um, I, I still think that with, with that, as long as the, and this is at least how I've justified it to myself is as long as the intent is right, I'm comfortable with that. Um, yeah. you know, and all, all. I, I, yeah. Can I even just offer as long as the intent is, is integrous. And what I mean by that is, feel give feel free to manipulate somebody as long as you're clear that you're manipulating them <laughs> like yeah. like you do you get what i'm saying like yeah. just yeah. don't don't pretend it's something else that's where we're out of integrity right we yeah. we define integrity as the alignment of our thoughts beliefs words and actions and when people operate from that place they are influential beyond beyond imagination they can move mountains it's when we're trying to be one way while thinking or believing differently than that. And we're trying to justify it that we are out of that integrity and people can tell. And that's why they're not, they're not moved. We might get by, mm -hmm. but we don't do, we don't do world changing things from that place. Yep. That's great. Well, um, the, and the last, so the last step is your honor and serve. And I think we've kind of, I mean, I don't know, it seems pretty self-explanatory. Um, but do you want to share a little piece of that and then we'll go ahead and close out? Yeah. I, I mean, 
this is, you know, to me, this was, these were the two labels that sort of emerged in my life that, that the, the two filters that really started to help me see what I was really up to. Um, and how much of my behavior was derived from wanting to appear to be one way, but in actuality, it was all about what I could get. And, uh, and, you know, ultimately like that, this was a, I was in this, this, um, program where I was studying my communication and uh, the idea was we were learning how to speak more directly and profoundly. And the, the concept was to make, place a phone call to someone um, where there was a lack of, of love in the relationship. And I immediately thought not of me with someone, but of uh, my uncle Ed uh, and his family, old Irish Italian Catholic family from Boston, you know, raised in sports, all amazing athletes. But, you know, one thing Uncle Ed didn't do a lot of was he, he wasn't very effusive with his kids. He didn't tell them he loved them. And his cousin, my cousins had shared that with me. So they sent me they sent me off to go make this phone call uh, where I'm supposed to have this conversation with them and inspire him to be more, you know, more, more effusive, really say something meaningful. And so I go out there. And I make the phone call and I'm like, hey, you know, buddy, just call and say, I love you. He's like, oh, I love you too, pal. And I'm like, you know, there's a lot of people in your life that would love to hear that. And he's like, okay. I'm like, we hang up the phone and I go back in. And, uh, and you know, the instructor says, like, who had, a, who, you know, who didn't have the success that they wanted? And I, I told her what I'd said. And, you know, it's like that was the same old manipulative bullshit, right? I was trying to, like, hint at this thing and see if I could make him feel a certain way so he would do this thing. And she just looked at me and, and I'm like, well, what am I supposed to say? How do you tell somebody you need to call your kids and tell them that you love them? Just like and that. She just, right? just like that, Paul, you nailed it. <laughs> yeah. She just stared at me. She didn't even say anything. I was like, just like that. She's like, just like that. Right. So I go back outside. I go, Uncle, one more thing. And I'm terrified, of course, because I'm thinking about what's this going to do to me. Right. What's the result of the relationship? But if I can give that up and honor and serve this man right now. This is what I would say. And I said, Uncle Ed, you need to call your kids and tell them that you love them. And he goes, he, he has this, there's this pause that felt like an eternity. And he goes, you know, as a matter of fact, you're right. He goes, today's Butchie's birthday. And he's like, I was just going to send him a message, but I'm going to give him a call instead. All right. So fast forward five months later and uh, Uncle Ed dies pretty suddenly. And I'm at the funeral, I'm at the wake, we're drinking beers as any good Irish Catholic funeral, you know, ultimately leads to. And I'm sitting next to my cousin, Butchie. And my cousin looks at me, he goes, <clears throat> he goes, Keith, he goes, you know what I have on my phone? He goes, I have a message for my dad on my birthday. Tell him he loves me. Dang, man. It's unbelievable. Right? So, for, forgive me. Yeah. No, no. It gets me every time. Yeah. So this is like this was about attaching these labels and just saying like, like in anything you give something a label, you give it a job to do. Yeah. As long as my uncle wasn't going to be able to hear me and I needed to be safe and all these things, I gave everybody a job to do. But the moment that the label was, you know, adhered with this idea of does it honor and does it serve? I was able to step outside of myself and say something that actually made a difference for once. Right. And, you know, in that story, like, uh, you know, I'm proud of that story, but, like the idea behind that type of work is if you really want to move something like you're going to label people and experiences in the world around you. It's just what we do automatically. You know, the minute you call something a door, it has a job to do. It's to open and close. The minute it stops doing that, we call it a broken door. And we do the same thing with people. We do it with our customers. We do it with our employees. And 
the key is to catch yourself and realize when you attach a label like that, did it honor and serve? And if it didn't, have the courage to remove it and write a new one. Racket. Jeez. Unbelievable. <laughs> what a close, Unbelievable. man. Unbelievable. Um, man, being an empathetic guy, dude, I feel you. I could feel the emotion in that. It made my eyes well up. Um, oh, because my because, anxiety while you were on the phone the first time with your uncle, like I was yeah. with you in that room, feeling <laughs> just not knowing how to tell him and then having to go back in and say, like, you have to, you have to like remove yourself from the situation and just say the words. Um, you acting on that, um, changed like that made a, such a difference, a long lasting difference. Um, you know, because you said that to him and, and he was able to get, you know, get that message. And now he has that message forever. So and, and Chris, and here's, that's where the story should end. And here's where the, the needy human side of me comes in. You know what my first reaction was to take credit for it. Yeah. Normal. That was my first reaction was to want to take credit for it. And I had to shut myself up and be like, Oh my God, Keith, can you just give him this moment? But that's how quickly. So this is what I'm saying. Like, no matter how hard I work at this, everything inside me still wants to go and like rip back the, you know, the credit and, and get the, the admiration and the acknowledgement. And that's that's the daily battle is how much of myself can I give up to actually serve people? Yeah. Nobody's perfect, man. And, uh, you know, everybody has a struggle. It's everybody's struggles are different, but you, very human. Yeah, for sure. Listen, man. Um, gosh. This has been amazing. Um, I'm I'm really into uh, mind conversations and thoughtfulness and all this type of stuff. So actually, this thing went a little different direction than I expected, and it went in a great direction, in my opinion. And hopefully, the listeners feel the same. Certainly, they do because it's so foundational. Like no matter everything else you do, there is like the, your where your head's at is the foundation of what that day looks like for you or that path looks like for you. Um, and I well, would also challenge in also your heart. Uh, are those two things. But um, obviously this is why you can do courses on this because we, you're probably still just scratching the surface on things that you could be sharing. Uh, and so what I want to do though, too, for our listeners, Keith, and I mean to cut you off is just, will you share with them um, how, if somebody wants to get in touch with you or involved with you or, or retain you or whatever, can you just share with the listeners on how they can get in touch with you? And we'll also share it in the post as well. Well, thank you. That's, that's awesome. Um, so, you know, the first thing would be my website, is keithmercurio.com and that's brand new newly launched uh, amazing company that supported me through that video narrative to, to build that stuff out and help me construct all this so keithmercurio.com is on there and there's all different ways that you can send me an email or shoot me a text or, or whatever else you want to do and you know i mean I, I i love to be here i i have a commitment inside of um my work like i'm you know i'm available for keynotes and and in the interim but the thing that i also do is that um every week i dedicate there's i put three hours per week aside to just just to be with people in whatever capacity could be meaningful to them um and that's how i put kind of a limit on you know how much of that i do but also kind of set that side of the time that, so that i can really enjoy it um so just please reach out don't let anything hesitate or stop you from reaching out and uh connecting and exploring this kind of stuff because, um, you know, these conversations and connections are, are deeply meaningful to me. If the world wants, if somebody wants and needs this type of development, like to not figure out how we're going to get that to them would be a disservice to, to those people. Right. So I will figure out how to serve you. Let's That's right, man. That you got to honor and serve those that are want. That's well, right. Keith Mercurio. Okay. I will figure out how to serve you. Well, listen, man, I appreciate it so much. Um, 
I mean, it legit, I took a ton of notes. I saw Paul taking a bunch of notes and uh, because I'm so into this and, and I do think it's hard to really understand. And I actually kind of felt challenged at times, which is cool for me because a lot of times it's, you know, as I say things, you're, li- you're listening to every word I'm saying in its context and challenging me. Um, and I need those types of things. I'm self-aware enough to know, like, I need pushback on stuff. Um, so I appreciate uh, your candor, really. And uh, But just everything that you shared. And listeners, like, I, I hope that when you take, even though I didn't, you didn't get like, maybe you said, hey, this is the one thing you could do to move your business forward in 2022. Um, none of that matters without your mind. Getting your mind right. Get your head right. And uh, make sure your heart's in the right place. And so that's what we hit on, and we hit on it hard. Uh, as the foundation. And I'm grateful, man. So thank you so much for taking the time with us. Um, you booked pretty quick. We wanted to get you on early in the year to kind of set people off in the right direction. So thank you for that. And then, um, also I want to real quick, um, just, well, Paul, do you have anything else you want to say to Keith before I start to do the, uh, exit? No, just thank you for being an unbelievably authentic and, and value giving gift. It was a gift to have you on for us. And I'm, I'm excited that our listeners get to experience it as well. So thank you. Oh, thank you. All right, brother. appreciate you. And then, so listeners, um, what I wanted to do is something that I want to give a quick shout out. I mean, this is like, because I have all the feels going right now. Um, I want to give a shout out to a couple of messages that we got, Paul, and I don't know if I shared this with you or not yet, but, um, you know, the whole reason that we started this podcast was to give back to, um, the trade that we love so much, right. That we like, that's our livelihood. And, um, and we take it super personal. So because we can't work with everybody at Rhino, this was our way to, to give back to those that we couldn't work with. And really now it's, it, you know, the success of it has been, um, fantastic and we're super grateful. And, and what I get back in return for putting this out there is reviews. And those basically make me feel great. And like, we got an amazing one from, and since I don't have my phone to actually read the review, Kyle, don't worry about going and grabbing it. It's okay. Um, but I want to give a quick shout out to Courtney and Jim Jeffries, um, down in Somerset, Kentucky, who had a, sent us a phenomenal message on how, um, you know, this, we have impacted their business this past year. Like they came on hesitant and then how we impacted their business and their person and their lot, their families, as well as their employees and their families. That's as personal as it gets. And that's the reason that we are even in business is to impact them positively, give them a chance to grow and them and their families and their employees. So that's like the best possible review you could possibly give us back for that. So thank you to them. Also to, um, God, I don't want to butcher this name. Jake, uh, Whitkoff, um, also gave us a nice post on how much, uh, our, he topped, you know, we gave our podcast, one of the top two or three podcasts that he listens to that has, he implemented and changed his business, uh, as well as, um, Adele Gustafson. Um, so shout out to you all for making those nice posts to us. We're always grateful for those types of things. That's what this is all about. And so Keith, any parting words for you, for our listeners, my man? I would just say if, you know, to those who have listened to both of you and to all of your listeners, I just want to say thank you. I think listening is the most generous thing that you can do. And so thank you for that gift. It's amazing to be heard. That's wonderful. So listeners, thanks for listening. (laughs) Hey, we appreciate you, Keith. Tall Paul, I appreciate your brother, producer Kyle. You're my man. Guys, until next time, we'll see you.